G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 16 review and some big ramifications coming out of the last four days and nights of football. Big round, some uh, big upsets, uh, some big injuries, speaking of ramifications, and some thrilling finishes too, uh, none as well, none more thrilling than the very last game of the round, which we will get to in due course. But uh, as ever, we are here for Palmer Bet, uh, where you get tackle busting benefits all this AFL season. Always remember to gamble responsibly, and of course, we are always grateful to Palmer Bet for their continued support. As I say, very good evening. To my co-host Robert Shaw, and uh, well, the race for the top eight, sure, he might have just uh, lost a couple of runners. Well, we left a couple at the bus stop, Rowan. That's what's happened, and now um, the bus has pulled out, and uh, Port Adelaide and Gold Coast have just missed it, unfortunately. So I'm prepared to call that Port two games out plus fourteen percent, Gold Coast are two games out at eight percent, with the Bulldogs in tenth, hanging on. So we have a competition in a race for the finals with 10 teams now, Ron. That is uh, it's a big call, but I've got to say I tend to agree with you. Seven games left, pretty hard to make up two games plus enough percentage to constitute another game over a seven-game period. Just uh, for those that don't have the ladder in front of them as they're listening to this, uh, Melbourne on top on 12 wins, three sides on 11, Geelong, Brisbane and Fremantle. Carlton and Collingwood both on 10, rounding out the eight, Richmond in seventh, Sydney in eighth. They are both on nine wins. St Kilda just outside the eight, also on nine wins, but they are about 9% behind the other two. In 10th spot with a better percentage than the Saints, but a win behind uh, Western Bulldogs on eight wins. And then, as Robert said, Gold Coast, seven wins, Port Adelaide, Seven wins, uh, both, well, both playing decent footy, but, uh, yeah, a few points in the Gold Coast case a couple of weeks in a row, and Port Adelaide this week might mean the difference yep. between finals or not. It was a very intriguing round of football. we got nine games to analyse in graphic and vivid detail. Let's do it. On Footyology, wrap around. The first game of round 16 was on Thursday evening. It was at the Gabba. It had high stakes attached. It was between Brisbane and the Western Bulldogs. And in the end, a comprehensive win to the Lions by 41 points on their home deck. What a fortress that has become over the years. Uh, the final scores, Brisbane 16-12, 108, defeating the Western Bulldogs 9-13, 67. Tied at half time, uh, the Lions just eight points up, but uh, dominated the second half, 10 goals to four. 
the goal kickers for Lions, four to Cameron, two to Berry, two to Danaher, two to McCarthy, singles the rest for the Doggies, two to Norton, two to Riley West and singles the rest for them. Well, Charlie Cameron, really the difference in this game, Rob, uh, big third quarter, he kicked two, gave off another three and uh, that really broke the game open. Costly win perhaps for the Lions, lost uh, Dane Zorko early with a hamstring injury, Daniel Richoff before half time with a hamstring injury as well. But uh, bigger ramifications for the doggies because they just, whenever they seem to get a bit of momentum up, have a reversal like this. Plenty of uh, ball winners for them. Toblin, Rattore, Jack McRae, 65 touches between them. But all to no avail for the doggies and going to be an uphill battle for them. uh, Last year's grand finalist or runner-up to even make the eight this year. How'd you see this one? Well, they've got a problem, Ron, because... um... Although um, it happens in the front half, they really do get dissected through the middle of the ground on rebound, on sides that can uh, move the ball quickly. And one of those sides is obviously Brisbane that we've spoken about. Um, We're a bit worried about uh, Brisbane's competitiveness and toughness, and I called for Matheson to play, but he wasn't looked at, but that's fine. There was no Caleb Daniel and no Ed Davis off the halfback flanks for the Western Bulldogs, and and this made a little bit of a difference. But having said that, uh, two of the most important players for Brisbane, as you said, were Daniel Richoff halfback and Zane Zorko through the middle. But I just want to say something. It actually lacks a fortune sometimes, as Lou Richards used to say. I think it was, uh, or Jack Edwards. But, um, and apologies to our listeners who got no idea who I'm talking about. But uh, everyone knows who Lou Richards was. And Jack Edwards? No, he's a great commentator. <laughs> um, what happened with Zorko, Ryan, is he went off the ground injured and it, and they forced, it forced Brisbane to put Berry into the middle and prior on the wing. It actually worked and gave them more physicality in the central of the ground because, as we saw, it was the Tom Liberatore show early on. He blitzed them with 11 possessions, six clearances and a goal. So he was responsible wholly and solely for the Western Bulldogs getting off to a great start. But after that, gee, what a possession. And, and 41 points, Ryan, is some margin. Well, what what about what does this say about... The I guess the connection between the doggies midfield and their forwards because they've won the clearances 45-30. Yep. They won contested possession by nine. They won the inside 50 count by seven. And for all that, they've ended up with nine goals, 13, and lost by seven goals. That's not a well, great they, result. They went at 44%. And what happens when they get it in there? If they don't score, Ryan, uh, they can't keep the ball in there and it rebounds quickly. And, and particularly against specific sides, like the Brisbane Lions. The Brisbane Lions only had 30, well, had 32 shots from 50 inside 50s, right? Seven less than the Brisbane Lions, but they went at 65%, mm. right? 65% times they scored. That gives you an indication. It's not, not the connection between the, the mids and the forwards. It's a connection between the mids and the backs for the for the uh, Western Bulldogs. As you said, they won the tackles, they won the clearances. Adams, um, but uh, they couldn't hold fastball movement, the isolation of Charlie Cameron. You know, you spoke about his four goals. And uh, 
three direct assists. So he's had a blinder again. I, I wrote a column during the week about my doubts about Brisbane. I mean, it's hardly me alone. I think well, no, we spoke about it, mate. We yeah, did, you know. Yeah, well, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I've got to say, I see this game, and yeah, they, they were good, but again, it's another good win over an opponent that wasn't didn't play that well on their home deck. I just, I just don't think they're going to convince me until I see them do this in finals away from the Gabba. Yeah, well. And it's going to be the tail of the tape because they've lost their last two. They're a straight set side. Right now, they're a straight set side and we haven't seen anything to convince us otherwise because even though they're playing well and all, et cetera, et cetera, this is a classic case of judging a team in September. There's no no other, there's no grey area. Show us in September. You know, um, what they did though, they took apart a uh, a finals contender, and they've kicked the last the fifteen of the last twenty goals, Ron. Well, what? Uh, uh, okay, the Bulldogs. That leaves the Bulldogs a game outside the eight. Um, facing. Uh, well, I'll I'll get to that, but I mean, before yeah. I say they go, do you think they're good? Do you think they deserve to? And do you think they will make the eight? Well, I don't know the draw, Rowan. The draw yeah. now. Who do they play? If they're playing sides around them. Um, they make their own. They make their own luck. But at the moment, you would have to say no. I've got right. Collingwood coming in. Richmond well, have gone to seventh, so they're going to be a real trouble tacking on to that group, even well, though they're in within range. Well, here's what they got. They got Sydney at the SCG. Well, they're, look at that game. Where's Sydney now? Eight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, for the moment. Uh, yeah. But I'll just tell you they got so yeah. Sydney at the SCG. St Kilda at Marvel. Melbourne at Marvel, Geelong at GMH. Stop there. GM, yeah. Well, they're not going to win one of them. No. Okay. Uh, Frio <laughs> at Marvel. Uh, Giants yeah. at Marvel and Hawthorne in Tassie. Yeah, they're not going to wow. win too many of them. They're, they're going to struggle to make it. And they're playing sides at the end of the year that want to finish off. GWS, where's that at uh, Giant Stadium? Uh, I the think so. GWS yeah, and- game. Yeah, no, it's in Marvel. Marvel, and then down to Hobart against two sides that have uh, Launceston. Yeah, sorry. Mm. Wow, yeah, uh, going to be a struggle for them. Uh, oh, while, while we okay. are, uh, so uh, the immediate challenge for the doggies uh, next week: Sydney at the SCG, and Sydney, of course, after their reversal on the weekend, uh, will be just as desperate as the doggies. That game is uh, the Friday night game, seven fifty p.m. At the SCG, uh, as for Brisbane, they have coming up a home clash against the Bombers at the Gabba, 1.10pm Sunday afternoon. You'd think they'd start pretty warm favourite in that one. All right, uh, back on the winning list for the Lions. Uh, bad news for the Doggies. That was Thursday evening. Let's move to Friday. Friday night football was at Marvel Stadium between Carlton and St Kilda and we saw an upset and an upset maybe with some important ramifications for both teams. A 15-point win to the Saints who were absolutely desperate for win after three bad losses in a row. Uh, Could this be the loss that cost Carlton a top four spot? 15 points the margin. Final score, St Kilda, 14 goals, 9-93, defeating the Blues, 
1878, costly inaccuracy yet again. The goal kickers for the victors, four to Membry. He was outstanding for the Saints. Three to King, two to Ryder, two to Higgins, two to Butler. Steele, the only other goal kicker with a single for the Blues. Three to Motlop, two to Kennedy, two to Mackay. Singles, the rest. Well, it was a really, uh, the Saints, after three pretty abject performances in a row, really brought that resilience that marked their earlier season efforts to the fore, I thought. And a, a real game of ups and downs, this one. The Saints made the running with the first three goals. Carlton hit back with the next five. St Kilda then kicked four in a row. Carlton kicked a couple in a row. St Kilda three in a row. Carlton a couple in a row. And St Kilda four in a row to uh, tip the ledger once and for all. Um, some fantastic performances for the victors. Jack Sinclair, uh, probably career best game for him, 37 disposals, 606 metres gained for him, outstanding off halfback and through the midfield. Uh, Membry, like I said, terrific. Four goals and uh, some important stopping work late in quarters down in defence. And King managed to uh, turn things around and chip in with three goals. The uh, the Blues, well, I just missed too many chances in the second half. Four goals, 11 to the Saints, 7-3. Costly, Sam Walsh and Patrick Cripps as prolific as ever, 30 disposals plus each. But that third term, one goal, six, they scored to the Saints, 3-1. Absolutely dominated, and uh, a couple of late goals to the Saints, King and Steele. Gave them a 12-point lead. Uh, one last hurrah for the Blues early in the last quarter with goals to Kennedy and Mackay, which gave them a lead. But St Kilda, like I said, kicked the next four and uh, came away with a desperately needed win at the same time, putting uh, a bit of a dint in Carlton's top four hopes. Quality game. How did you see this one? Got a couple of points I want to make to you here. Uh, I think you've summed it up very well. I'll name Ryder and Hill as uh, St Kilda's two most influential players. Before you jump up and down at me, I'll tell you why. Ryder is a very experienced ruckman and he just wore Tom DeConing down and he makes Marshall a much better player, a much more dangerous player. And, of course, Hill, you spoke about um, Sinclair, Rome being back to form. Yeah. If you can answer me this, in the last two games he's been tagged by Mac Welfie mm. and put out of business. Guelphie kicked two goals. Mm. He was in tagged by Ryan Clark, put out of business, and um, Ryan Clark kicked two goals. Mm. Can you ask Michael Voss at the next press conference what was his thought process about not following uh, what was a very, very successful template and taking their most influential set-up man off halfback out of play? Because I can't understand it, but I think I know what happens. Hill makes Sinclair better, mm. right? So if Sinclair's, if Hill's there and his run, carry and kicking meant that Voss had to put Cottrell to Hill, that released um, Sinclair. So there's your key to your game. And it was very difficult, even though I said to you to ask Vossie, uh, that was tongue-in-cheek. What is the choice? Do you go with Hill or do you go with Sinclair? Because by going with Hill, Sinclair was best on the ground. 
Well, we, we yeah, no, it's a really good point. We we did say in the preview too that uh, Hill and Ryder are spark players for them. They yeah. they take them from being a a pedestrian side to a side that can trouble quality opponents. And you'd think, well, it's it's just two players, but it sort of changes the whole dynamic of the side, doesn't it? They became a far more attacking, positive. They look quicker uh, for Hill. Uh, intensity around the ball and quick and pace and, yeah. and hunger for the contest. I thought Carlton were lazy. Mm. How many times in your – like I didn't write it down. I've got this, this vision of Carlton – these lazy half kicks to the middle of the ground yeah. that were intercepted, yeah. right? And I've got no idea. Look, I know Matthew Lloyd summed it up well. If you want to do rounded corner kicks, you do it within 20 metres. You don't do it within 40 metres. They kick one goal six. I thought their lazy kicking was res- heavily responsible for their loss. Lazy kicking in front of goal, round corners, all that sort of stuff, and also the stuff to the middle of the ground. I didn't think they had their mind quite on the job, and, of course, St Kilda took it away with the opportunity that they got. Well, it just shows how switched on you have to be, doesn't it? The Correct. Comp- the competition is so tight that you've only got to be off by a couple of degrees, and uh, it can bring you a cropper. Um, now, what the ramifications for that, of course, are that Carlton – um, is outside the uh, the top four as a result, um, and it may stay that way. I'm just uh, going to have a quick look at Carlton's run home because I think... Just while you do, mate, I'll just yeah. say, look, it was a gutsy win too. Carlton hit the lead, then the Saints kicked the last four, and then all hell broke loose. They did Howard with the knee, uh, yeah. Butler with the head clash, yeah. Marshall was off the ground with a... Um, a suspected here to go through protocols for concussion. So as we were watching, Clark. it was uh, sorry, Clark. Oh, Howard Clark. Sorry, yeah. yeah. So it was all hands on deck. There was Ruffhead down there. There was uh, R- Ratten was down there. So to to regain their composure and to finish off that game was an outstanding effort. I just thought that was a team that really deserved the win against a side that only sparked into gear when they thought they were going to lose the game. And that's not a good sign. Yeah, well, uh, desperate stakes, obviously. And, uh, gee, it's made a difference, though, because we've just about written them off. I mean, as it stands now, oh. they are only outside the top eight on percentage, the Saints. Uh, okay. They do have a really, really tough run home, though, of course. They've got uh, Frio next week. They've got the Bulldogs. They've got the Eagles in Perth. They've got Hawthorne. They've got Geelong at Geelong, Brisbane and Sydney to finish off. So if they can overcome that and make it, they certainly will have earned their place. Uh, what are the Blues? Uh, their run home. Uh, they've got, uh, just quickly, they've got West Coast, Geelong, GWS, Adelaide, Brisbane, Melbourne, Collingwood. So really tough last three games, uh, the Blues. They wouldn't want to be uh Oh, well, yeah, but... Look at the if you look, it's it is one week at a time, Ryan. You just got to try and win next week. They've got enough games there that they can can uh, have a 50 50 split, mate. If they have a 50 50 split, they've made the finals. Forget this talk about top four, they're going to have to do something extraordinary to get top four. That we, no one picked them as a top four side, but to get in the finals, fifth, six, seven, eight is a damn good effort from where they've come from, and that's a really good starting point. So I wouldn't get carried away with top four stuff. 
Um, Wilkie did a great job on Kurnow. I want to mention him. And King started to regain some confidence by kicking three goals one. Yep, important win for the Saints. Uh, so, like we said, big one, massive one for them next week uh, on Saturday, Saturday evening at Marvel Stadium. They have got Fremantle, 7.25 p.m. And the Blues, they are the last game of the weekend up against West Coast. Different-looking West Coast these days, though, yep. in Perth. That is 4.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All get right. your act together. Get your act together or they'll roll you. Yeah, correct. Yeah, exactly. That, that is Thursday and Friday evening. Let's move to Saturday. First game of Saturday saw another big upset. In fact, I guess you could almost say this is one of the biggest upsets of the season. Essendon triumphant against Sydney by nine points. An accurate Essendon. Unusual to say that. The Bombers, 15 goals, 5-95, defeating Sydney 12-14. 86, the goal kickers for Essendon. Three to Merritt, two to Stringer, two to Wright. Singles, the rest, but uh, plenty of goal kickers. In fact, uh, all up, uh, 11 individual goal kickers for Sydney. Three to Warner, two to Franklin, two to Reed, two to Heaney. Singles, the rest. Well, it uh, looked like business as usual or a repeat of Sydney's belting of the Bombers about Seven rounds ago, coming up again, they dominated the first quarter, uh, 5-2 at quarter time. Got uh, as far as 26 points in front uh, about midway through that second term after a goal to Franklin. But then they got hit by the inaccuracy bug so badly, in fact, that after being 5-2, they then kicked two goals, 12 a run which took them until uh, late in the third term. And whilst that was going on, Essendon hit back in stunning style. In fact, uh, they had a run of five straight goals in 13 minutes in that second quarter to take the lead. And uh, then pretty neck and neck. And uh, credit to the Bombers, Rob, because uh, the Swans made the running again early in that last quarter. Uh, goals in that uh, last quarter to Warner and to Mills gave them a 16-point lead. Back came the Bombers again. Jake Stringer, who'd had, uh, fair to say, a pretty scratchy afternoon, kicked by Checkside on the run, then another big goal. Uh, then a massive roost from Mason Redmond gave Essendon a lead. Um Franklin uh, had a chance to get the Swans closer, kicked out in the full. Kyle Langford put Essendon nine points up. And then Jake Stringer, the bad Jake Stringer, presented himself. He gave away a 50. Uh, Warner got the Swans back within three points with two minutes, 14 left on the clock. And uh, then the ball resided in Essendon's forward line. And with 41 seconds left, Nick Hind, a uh, great running snap, sort of, Reminded me a little bit of Nick Melcheski's winning goal in the 2012 <laughs> grand final. There was about 40 seconds left on the clock then to Essendon, nine points to the good. And that's how it stayed. Uh, just about Essendon's best win for the season, I'd say. And uh, again, like Carlton, this could be a really costly loss for the Swans, Rob. Oh, well, it is. And um, yeah, look, 
Um, I'm, I'm really positive about what I saw with Essen, even though it was on the back of a dismal display. So once again, we've got this pattern run. They, they did it against St Kilda. Now they've done it in Sydney, intermingled with inferior and ordinary performances. So uh, the jury's out. Look, they've got a real hard one next week in Brisbane. So, But I would be expect, expecting a very, very consistent and competitive game, even though I don't expect them to win. Interesting what Essendon are doing. Um, like last week, uh, Sydney, Blakey had 31 and Lloyd had 39. Now, Essendon didn't actually tag them, but they kept, how do I explain this, they kept a front six. They didn't release any of those players to be a free man. Blakey's gone from 31 to 15, and Lloyd's gone from 39 to 19. Mm. That's where Essendon um, were hoping to improve and should improve because historically over the last two, three, five, seven, nine years, they have been destroyed by opposition creative halfbacks, the likes of Whitfield and Daniel Rich and Adam Saad. So, Doherty. Sorry? Doherty for Carl. Oh, Doherty, yeah. Um, three three Brownlow votes Doherty every time mm. he plays this. And so to see those figures, even though they don't bounce off the screen, there there is as significant, in my opinion, as any of the stats you can present. The other positive is... He's not a goal-kicking mid, but it shows you the importance of goal-kicking mids. To get merit on the end of a few to kick three goals is something that I can't remember an Essendon sentiment doing since Joe Mercedes four goals in the preliminary final at the MCG. It's well, probably happened before that, but we, we don't have them, do we, Ron? No, no, sorry, Essendon don't have them. Yeah, careful. Uh, yeah, we, I know. We and don't underestimate just the uh, the importance of accurate kicking. Fifteen five. I mean, you know, well, last, it's been the other way, hasn't it, mate? Well, it's last been, week, yeah. last week in against West Coast, they blew early chances to just about stitch it up and blew the game. You know, you kick straight, you're more than likely uh, you're going to win the game. Um, should uh, a word too about uh, Massimo D'Ambrosio? He has been a fantastic pickup. I thought he was terrific in this game. Well. It's interesting that the selection process he is. Um, obviously, I, I don't think they'll be right because um, Perkins had a calf and wasn't that opportune. Not that I wanted Perkins out, but there's no way known they should have, in inverted commas, and I made a, a comment on Twitter that um, you don't manage kids when you're 16. Mm. They play. Yeah. Oh, but they get the GPS said they were tired. They're not tired. Mm. And our shoes used to say to us, always play your hundred game players. Select your hundred game player. Hobbs is a hundred game player. There's seven rounds to go. He can have a spell in September because that's when Essen will get the spell. He needs minutes, and he was significant in this win going into the centre square against Callum Mills. And I hope Essendon have learnt something about this, about the development of young players, um, particularly in the back half of the season. There's no need to rest them, Ron. Speaking about talented young players, uh, and I tweeted about this guy early on, and he did fade out, but Chad Warner, what a class act he is. Uh, he and Justin McInerney, um, and McInerney's been in and out a bit and had some injuries, but like Warner was just terrific, particularly early in this game, 25 disposals and three goals, a um, couple more he might have had. But, uh, 
Gee, their future's in pretty good hands with youngsters the calibre of him. He's a gun. Essendon dominated the clearances against Sydney. Absolutely dominated. And when you've got uh, an X factor like Stringer that can basically, like Essendon kicked five of the last seven. You highlighted Callum Mills's goal and, and Wagner's goal, but Stringer just changed the tempo of the game. And one thing you can say about Essendon, if you're prepared to give them a sniff and allow them to get their confidence and momentum going, they, they thrive on that. It's mm. not They're not front runners. That's an inappropriate comment, but... Once they get a taste for the game and think they're in it, their confidence and, and, and exciting players come into the play. I, I thought it was a, an inaccurate display by Sydney, but also disappointing given that um, they basically, Essendon basically gave them five goals start. All right. Well, massive game for the Swans next week, Friday night against the Bulldogs, 7.50 p.m. at the SCG. And the Bombers, they have a road trip to the Gabba. Pretty tough task, that one, uh, to take on Brisbane, 1.10pm. Let's see if they can turn one win in a row into two in a row. All right, let's talk about the Saturday Twilight game. Okay, the Saturday Twilight game was at Adelaide Oval between the Crows and the Demons. Melbourne back in winning form last week with a big win over Brisbane. Uh, the Crows, well, they um, managed to win as well last week against North Melbourne. Could they continue on in that vein? Well, uh, pretty credible performance by the Crows. They pushed Melbourne pretty hard and were still within striking distance about midway through this last quarter, but uh, Melbourne finishing strongly and in the end running out winners by 29 points. The final scores, Melbourne 14-10-94, defeating Adelaide 10-5-65. The goal kickers for the Demons, three to Petrarca, two to Mitch Brown, two to Ben Brown, the Brown brothers, they're winemakers, aren't they? Singles, the rest, and a total of 10 individual goal kickers for the Crows. Two to Walker, two to Keys, and singles, the rest. Well, uh, the headline in this game, it's pretty obvious. It's, uh, well, Batman and Robin. We keep talking about iconic duos, but, uh, wow, how good are these two together? Clayton Oliver and Christian Petrarca. Oliver, of course, having just signed a massive new seven-year contract, celebrated that with 36 disposals, 13 tackles, six clearances. But even that uh, wasn't as impressive as Petrarca, who had 33 touches, five clearances, but capped it off with three goals. They had 18 score involvements between them and 39 contested possessions. Uh, and that was pretty much all she wrote in terms of what decided this game. And I uh, should say to Melbourne doing it without Luke Jackson, uh, which certainly cost them some ruck dominance, but uh, didn't matter with those two at ground level, anything was achievable. Fantastic players and pretty solid win by the Demons in the end, Rob. Well, I th I, you mentioned the the partnership in the. I thought you were going to talk about the uh, the ruck dominance of Sam Wiedemann and Mitch Brown. Well, tongue in cheek because they conceded fifty seven to thirteen hitouts, but Melbourne, due to that partnership, um, 
back, really back in form. They won the clearances 39-34. So it uh, brings up the, you know, the hit-outs to advantage, uh, which Brian couldn't take, could not take advantage of. It also gives Melbourne a big tick, you know. They got to within a goal, wasn't it, in the last quarter? And uh, yeah, they were warm so. matching it. And just shows you, the, um, look, interesting Melbourne. They had the Oliver Petrarca domination. They um, And then they had Ed Langdon back to form on the wing with 33 possessions. They had another dis- another dominant display by the standing captain. And hasn't he lifted and taken responsibility since Max Gorn went out? And, of course, then you've got, we talk about Ryder and Hill making other people better. I tell you what, Stephen May and, and Jake Lever have teamed up for... 26 intercepts between them. Yeah, we'll throw in, um, I was going to mention that, throw in Angus Brayshaw, and it was, uh, I think, 30 intercept marks, which is the equal fourth highest team tally on record. So uh, why were Melbourne so close? Uh, why, why were Adelaide, you know, that's a significant tick for Adelaide that so many of the key personnel, apart from the Ruck Division, were firing on all cylinders. That's a fair and, point. And yet Adelaide were uh, within striking distance in the last quarter with a total domination of Oliver, Petrarca, Langdon, May, Lever and Brayshaw. If you said that before the game, that's a 8-10 to 10 goal loss. But I tell you what, this is an improving side. They're competitive in the midfield. They've got a good balance in their forward line. And they're just a very, very even side that was able to match the reigning premiers with key people. So I give uh, I give Adelaide a big tick out of this game. Melbourne will come away very, very pleased with themselves. They're on the whenever you're on top of the ladder and up there, and you go away, you play a dangerous opponent, and you come away with a good, solid win. It's always a good day, Rowan. Well, I just heard some, uh, they weren't crows, I think I heard in the background, sounded more like cockatoos or something, but uh, <laughs> the feathered brethren were showing their support there as we were talking about Did the game. Your place or mine? No, yours. Didn't you hear that? That was coming from your neck of the woods. Oh, I've got them out here, yeah. Yeah, no, they were uh, they were in fine fettle there. Uh, Jordan Dawson, uh, 30 disposals yes. for the crows. Uh, very impressive for them. We, we keep uh, waxing and waning about uh, how we Adelaide. think Adelaide are going. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, so they're 14th on the ladder. They're yes. 5 and 10. We had them on target for about eight wins. I uh, don't know if they're going to get quite there. but What's uh, their next month, mate? Well, hang on. Give me – let me uh, – You know the question's coming, Ryan. Well, don't, I didn't realise we were going to be doing everyone's whole draw. Okay, oh, would we are. Mate, there's seven games to go. This all is right. it. Okay. Yeah. Adel- so, okay, Here, just let me rattle them off first. We've gone Adel- past Chiquita Lodge. Okay. We're at the top of the straight. <laughs> okay, enough of the racing analogies as well. Uh, Adelaide <laughs> have got their final seven games are against Hawthorne, Collingwood, Sydney, Carlton, West Coast in Perth, North Melbourne, and Port Adelaide. It's Three wins. Yeah. Three wins, which gives them what? Eight. Three We're on target. Again, mate. Yeah, I there reckon, you go. I there you go. I reckon they're going to end up with seven. Um, We've got them on budget. Okay, well. Uh, Don't worry about the seven games. Just do the month. 
You only worry about the month, a block of four four games. All right, okay. Yeah, if ever anyone's in doubt that we're making it up as we go here, that should be the uh, confirmation for you. Melbourne, uh, what have Melbourne got over the next month? He said as he quickly fumbled for their draw. Melbourne have got over the next month. Geelong, of course, uh, uh, Geelong next week. Port Adelaide, yeah, uh, that one is in Alice Springs, as a matter of fact. Right. Uh, Western Bulldogs and Fremantle in Perth, and wow, Melbourne's draw is very tough. I'm going to tell you the last three games. You've got Collingwood, Carlton, and Brisbane at the Gabba, so uh, they'd want to be hitting top form by then. The Demons. So uh, they're going to Alice in Redfern, as it is in Alice. This is not the Buckingham Palace. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, that is uh, don't don't uh, uh, dead uh, uh, midnight beds oil. are burning. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, Warwick. Oh, whatever. No, Warwickerner. It Warwick is. Kerner. I knew I knew that, Larry. <laughs> it's Warwickerner, of course, off the uh, Diesel and Dust album. Good man, Rowan. There we go, getting distracted again. All right. Uh, so just and good quick. news. I think Gorn's back. Uh, Next week for okay. the Demons. Yep. All right. Well, you're all the latest on the injury front. Okay. Just a refresher. Thursday night footy. It's massive this week. Geelong against Melbourne. One against two. And, of course, that game last year, uh, Max Gorn's post-siren goal memorably, giving Melbourne oh, top yeah. spot on the ladder. 7.20 p.m. next Thursday, that one. Adelaide, uh, they play Hawthorne at Marvel Stadium on Sunday afternoon. At 3.20. Okay, that was Saturday Twilight. Two games on Saturday evening. Well, this one always threatened to get ugly, and uh, thus it did. Um, The biggest winning margin of this season, 112 points racked up by Geelong at GMHBA Stadium against North Melbourne. The final ugly scores, 21 goals, 18. The Cats, 144 to the Roos, poultry, 5-2-32. They actually didn't start that badly, the Roos. Three goals each at quarter time. Geelong starting to work their way on top by half time, uh, with almost a five-goal lead. And by this stage, uh, the Roos were in trouble on the injury front. Aaron Hall uh, injuring a leg and limping off the ground. Uh, that one very early in the piece. Uh, Kane Turner, uh, a bad head knock, which uh, saw him finish his participation in the game. The second half was uh, just a cakewalk for the Cats. 13 goals to just one solitary goal for the Roos that coming in the third term. The final goal kickers, uh, Hawkins 6, Cameron 4, Narkle 2, Stengel 2, close to singles, the rest, 10 individual goal kickers there, all singles for the Roos. Um, they had a couple of late changes too. Geelong didn't upset them any at all. Sam DeConing, uh, Cork, he was replaced in the selected side by Quinton Narkel, who uh, cashed in with a couple of goals coming into that side late in the piece. Well, uh, we all know Jeff Walsh has returned to Arden Street to do that review into North Melbourne's football operations. Uh, well, uh, 
I'll tell you, there'll be plenty of speculation as to whether David Noble can continue <coughs> into that role even this week because the shocking losses just keep mounting up and that one was the uh, the worst of them all. I'm going to put it on you, Rob. Does uh, David Noble deserve to keep his job? No, that's the icing on the cake for mine. Um, you look closely, um, you know they've got injuries, you know they are in a rebuild phase, but... Um, with Jeff Walsh there, uh, they have to make a decision and they have to basically do it pretty quickly. They can't let this meander on. So um, you're asking me yes or no, so I'm a no and I'll tell you why. Um, uh, Noble's critics will say he's shown no capacity to build a base in any area of the game. So when, when you're like this... What's their point of difference, right? Are they a defensive side? Are they a midfield attacking side or are they brilliant forward line? Regardless of their position on the ladder and regardless of their phase of development, you have to be able to see, um, A, individual development. Now, apart from Luke Davies' UNIAC, who else? You might want to throw a name at me off the top of your head. See, nothing jumps out of me. So team improvement, also no individual improvement. I concede they've had injuries and suspensions, and it was unlucky. If you're down two rotations in a game against Geelong, you're going to run into trouble. I accept that, right? I don't know why Mackay's gone forward against the best one-two punch in the competition, which just opened the door for Hawkins and... um, and uh, Cameron to do what they liked against Walker and Core. Well, beyond beyond the uh, improvement, and I, of course that's critical. But I mean, the clincher for me would just be that the size, the continued size of these defeats. Now, I know I've done this a lot, but I'm, I'll get, listen to these yeah. margins again. So, thirteen losses in a row. Here are the margins: one hundred and eight, eleven. That's the that's the outlier. Then sixty-eight, sixty, fifty. 78, 69, 47, 53, 62, 49, 57, 112. In that last string of 11 defeats, the narrowest margin is 47 points. I mean, this is Fitzroy 1996 stuff. That can't Jeff continue. Walsh, yeah. Jeff Walsh is on his third review. Collingwood, let's back Buckley in and they got in the grand final. Carlton, a number of casualties, right? So this is his third review. So <clears throat> I'm suggesting they have to get in the marketplace, right? They have mm-hmm. to make decisions over the next seven weeks. Uh, the point, the reason I said no is based on the fact that they can't meander and wander on. Yeah. He's yeah. there for a month now. Do they give it the full month? or with a man of his experience that they've deliberately gone and got to make these assessments, is the coach... And I've been in the position, Ryan. Look, no. I, I feel I speak with some authority. I've coached yeah. teams down the bottom, coached midfield. I've been sacked. I've been reappointed. So I know what the feeling is when you're coaching an undermanned young side. Um, you know, they gave a pick 19 for Callum Coleman-Jones. Well, mm. Pick 19. Yeah. You've got to be in the side. So the, the decision to get Greenwood, you know, it was hailed by Noble as being a masterstroke. It, it hasn't been right. Mm. So I think they've got to get in the marketplace. 
or they'll leave their run too late. Yeah, well, it's not just and Sorry, and they've got to convince people now to come to North Melbourne, and that's players. They've got to convince players to sign Yeah, Zerha and Horn Francis, and they've got to convince coaches to come and players to stay and approach players. Can they do that under the noble banner? I, it, it doesn't look like it. No. No, no. I, I, I tend to agree. I'm not normally one for No, making... I'm not. I'm not. I hate it. I yeah. hate saying it. But you asked me a question, yeah. so my answer is what I've given you. What I was going to say was I'm not normally one for making those sorts of decisions mid-season, but I, I just shudder to think if they have another seven losses that bad, you know, where how, how bad things will be then. Do they then have sponsors jumping off and lose more members? Um, yeah, it's 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 dire times for the Roos. There's no question about that. Just very quickly, so we haven't really talked about no, Geelong sorry at about all. sorry about that, folks. Yeah. Well, Geelong are, you know, they're doing it again, aren't they? They're second on the ladder. They're winning the games they should by plenty. Um, you know, they're racking up wins in a row. Massive win over Richmond last week. Uh, they're, uh, well, you know, again, with the Cats, people will want to see them prove it on the stage. It's a bit like Brisbane, really. We're sort of waiting and seeing till September for a lot of these sides, but you can only beat what's in front of you, and uh, they're they're putting themselves in contention again. Yeah, just quickly, they took the opportunity, and this is not disrespectful, rested Selwood, they got Tom Stewart out with suspension, and uh, Sam DeConig was carrying a bit of a corky, so he's been a revelation at fullback, so... They're well-rested. They won't get Stewart back, which is unfortunate for the Melbourne game, but they're well-rested. They did what they had to do. They showed a bit of killer instinct, and I think they're a better side than they were last year. They got more flexibility. So apologies for that microphone. Um, They're certainly more potent than they were last year as well. And just uh, recapping that massive game coming up this week, Thursday evening uh, against Melbourne at GMHBA Stadium 7. 20 p.m. in the Roos, the beleaguered Roos, uh, they front up against Collingwood at the MCG, 1.45 p.m. Saturday afternoon. All right, uh, there was another game on Saturday evening, and this one was a cracker. Well, massive stakes attached to this game at Metricon Stadium, and uh, it was a ripper between two uh, pretty worthy teams and vastly improved teams in 2022, it must be said. In the end, a really important five-point win for Collingwood, perhaps ending the finals hopes of Gold Coast, uh, who could so easily have won this game, uh, but the Pies by five points. The final scores, 9-13-67, defeating Gold Coast, 8-14-62. The goal kickers, three to Ginevan. Three to Josh Dacos, singles the rest, and the only multiple goal kicker for Gold Coast, and wow, what a game he had, Isaac Rankin, who ended up with four goals. Uh, Also, uh, can't escape this, uh, some massive injury ramifications out of this as well. Uh, Gold Coast, Connor Butterick, looks like he's gone with his second ACL uh, sad to say, Ben Ainsworth, uh, I don't think that serious appears to have avoided a serious ankle injury. Um, and Darcy Moore, the big one out of this game for Collingwood, a knee injury. Uh, as we record this, they're still waiting on the results of scans. They were hopeful 
It was just uh, some bone bruising, uh, but very hard to say and uh, could be looking at a minimum at a month on the sidelines, but even that would be a more favourable result than, uh, well, you know what, uh, which would just have massive ramifications for anything Collingwood was going to do in the finals. Great game, though. Exciting finish. And, uh, look, credit to the Pies, Rob, because... Gold Coast led this by 14 points, getting late in the last quarter. But uh, the last three goals of the game to the Pies, Josh Dacos, who was terrific, along with his brother Nick, Brady Majacek, and the winner coming from Will Hoskin Elliott. Great game. What would you make of it? Yeah, you mentioned in a previous game a couple back how there was ebbs and flows. Like a quick summary of this game, Gold Coast out of the blocks, Highs push hard back in the second quarter, level at three-quarter time. Gold Coast out to that lead you just spoken about, and then the Pies kicked the last three goals. This had everything. Um, difficult conditions, but uh, a fantastic contest. It was tight and tough contest. I loved it, and I think you've already uh, highlighted the contribution of the, uh, the two Dacos boys with Nick, 37 possessions, Josh, 19 and 3. Three goals. That's probably the best combination game that the two boys have put together. I ranked it as a very good win by the Pies. Consolidates themselves uh, in sixth position and um, beat a very good side on their home deck. That's a great win. Uh, And we just have our fingers crossed. You've summed it up well. You know, we're not doctors, but we've been around a bit. If this is a four-week injury, right, they have dodged the biggest bullet leading into the finals for a long time, Ryan. If they've got four weeks with a bit of bit of brain bruising, which is awkward, uh, that's that's a magnificent result for Collingwood because this can go either way. Just just on the Dacos's, a uh, couple of things. How how great is it that Nick's arrival seems to have made Josh that much better? A player, it really has spurred him on. He's been terrific this mate, season. Sibling rivalry, mate. Yeah, I know. You no, know? It's, it, it's great. It, it's not- pride. One's not going to let the other bloke get the back page of the Herald Sun, you know. <laughs> but good. but as far as Nick goes, 37 disposals. I can't remember. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure there's others, but I can't think off the top of my head of too many debutants who have been as cool-headed under pressure in their first season as he is. He's just never, ever ruffled by any situation, is he? No, he's done amazingly well. I, I um, Just to change tack again, yeah, we've covered the boys, but um, Gold Coast, it's a fine line, isn't it? They lost to Port by two points and they lost to Collingwood by five points. So basically two goals, two games lost uh, within a goal. So that's the fine line. You get those two wins and it really opens it up. But as you said, it makes it very difficult for them now, despite their good form. They have been very, very consistent, Rowan, and very hard to beat. No, they've been, no very, no, yeah. they've been very resilient. 11th on the ladder, 7 and 8. I mean, 7 wins already equals what they yeah. got to last year. And uh, a good news story for them too with the uh, – the first kick, first goal of the first AFL player to arrive via the Papua New Guinea development system, Huego Oya, and he looked pretty good, didn't he? Yes. In other words, just call me Ace. Why is his nickname Ace? Do we know? Well, why? probably because 
you know, we, we, Hawago Oya. We're trying to get out, uh, you know, I'm a bit tongue tied with that. So <laughs> he just said, you can just call me Ace. All right, fair enough. So we're going yeah. with Ace. Well, everyone calls Jath CJ, don't they? But uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have thought Oya was too hard to get out, but there you well, go. Well, it, it's spelled O E A. Yeah. So if you can get Oya out of that, well, we did. We researched, we listened, and um, good on him. What a great story. AFL Papua New Guinea programs. All right, and well, let's look at the uh, ramifications for either side. That's six wins on the trot now wow. to the Pies. Yeah. Uh, they are flying. They are in sixth spot on the ladder. And, uh, well, who foolishly uh, in their pre-season ladder would have had them low on the ladder? Of course they were going to improve. Uh, I wish I had my time over again on that one. Uh, Gold Coast, however they finish up, it will have been a big tick this season. They have been a far more resilient outfit than we had come to expect of them. Collingwood, well, uh, I don't want to be disrespectful, but they will be making it seven wins on the trot next week because they have an engagement against North Melbourne. That one is at 1.45pm on Saturday afternoon. As to Gold Coast, um, who do they play? Gold Coast have, pardon me, a home game at Metricon Stadium against Richmond, 4.35pm, that one on Saturday afternoon. We reckon the Pies will be playing finals, just a question of how deep into them they can go. And, of course, fingers crossed on that knee injury by Darcy Moore. All right, that was Saturday football. Let's turn our attention to Sunday. First game on the Sunday menu was between Richmond and West Coast at the MCG and ended up with a comfortable 35-point win to the Tigers. 20 goals, 8 accurate kicking, 128, defeating West Coast, 13 15 93, the goals for the Tigers, a really good spread of goal kickers. In fact, uh, 12 individual goal kickers, three to Rewalt, two to Baker, two to Bolton, two to Edwards, two to Lynch, two to McIntosh, and two to Pickett for the Eagles. Three to Jamie Cripps, he was terrific today up forward. Two to a much-improved Tim Kelly and singles the rest. Uh, some big injuries out of this one. The luckless Elliot Yo uh, pinged a hamstring for the Eagles during the third quarter. He just cannot take a trick on the injury, illness, concussion front this year. So you think he'll be sidelined for a while. Again, uh, the one with bigger ramifications, of course, Dustin Martin for Richmond, who was looking fantastic early on. I think 17 disposals. He accumulated in a very busy first half um, and a goal to go with it. But some hamstring awareness was the official description and he was subbed out of that game in the third quarter, replaced by Kane Lambert, who uh, is also being managed fairly carefully with his chronic hip injury. Well, 35 points probably doesn't reflect the margin in this game, really, Rob. And West Coast after at stages looking like they were going to get pantsed. Uh, they came screaming back into this contest in the third quarter, dominated field territory, 17-7, the inside 50s in the third term. 
Couldn't make enough of them. Six goals, five, the return from that. I did get within 11 points, though, and they were looking pretty good. And a key moment and a costly moment, Nick Natanui, who was pretty good in his return, it has to be said, but a, uh, a bit of ill-discipline from Nick Nat. He slung Ivan Soldo to the ground and gave away a free kick to Liam Baker, which Baker duly converted to a goal. And uh, then Liam Ryan gave away a 50-metre penalty and Liam Baker kicked another goal out of that. And that was pretty much the end of West Coast's resistance. But important win for the Tigers, which puts them back in the ball game in terms of the ladder. Yeah, significant decisions there, Ron, that you've highlighted that had nothing to do with the actual, how do I say this, uh, the actual form of Richmond or West Coast. They were issues brought upon by themselves, lack of discipline, resulting in those two goals. That's significant. You know, they got they get to 11 points and um, they just look like a rejuvenated side. They played with confidence and they, they, they played with great belief. But I'm calling this a solid victory by Richmond. They were handed those two goals, but 28 is great kicking to 13-15. Even the goal-kicking margins, even the goal-kicking shots for goal were 28 each. So it just shows you the West Coast have been gradually filtering players back. Um, and, and, of course, Nick Natanui, who has come back into the side, what was good and was very important. What I loved about Richmond is um, six players kicked two goals. They are very hard still to close down. Um, those medium, small players do have a great habit of getting on the end of goals, and uh, that was that was another key point of difference. Good spread of goals from the Tigers. Uh, for for the visitors, um, you know, they lose Yo, and, of course, uh, Richmond without Martin. We don't know how far Cochin's away. Um, Martin, they said awareness. Um, the trip to the Gold Coast, I think you said next week. Yes, you did, Rowan. No Cochin, you know, check that collarbone. And uh, Noah Bolter, that's going to be a very interesting week for the Tigers. They'll be delighted to get away with this win and go to seventh on the ladder. I think one uh, one thing that's really improved for them is, is uh, generating a bit of run and, and drive off half-back. And Rioli, um, terrific game, I thought. 28 disposals handed up with Jaden Short, has been doing that for a long time now. Marlon Pickett, you know, so they're starting to get stronger contributions for, for those guys beyond the absolute elite, aren't they? Or well, they've got the, they've got the elite. absolute elite. We know that. And hey, I'm and, sorry. I'm just I'm not going to say Short's not elite. He's the best and fairest winner. So, uh, but you know I know what, what I mean. you mean. Yeah. yeah, I do know what you mean. Um, you know, the, the names of Martin and Rewalt and but, – but, the, the continual improvement of those that level. Yeah, how do you call short that level? I think people know what we mean. They've really emerged to take responsibility. Pickett's had a good year, right? Mm. Um, so those players have really stood up when Martin wasn't there. Cochin had a good start to the year, had been injured for a while. Bolter's been in and out with injury. So you've got to look somewhere for consistency. It certainly come from that group of players. And Jack Rewalt just keeps getting the job steady as he goes, um, playing his role at centre forward, allowing Lynch to come out of the goal square. It's a pretty good setup they've got. But uh, next week's going to be uh, intriguing if they've got those three players out. Just want to ask you about West Coast too. So, look, yep. Nat Nui, pretty impressive first up game. They look 
so much better aside with uh, Rioli and, and Liam Ryan back on deck. Oh. Um, you know, I mean, obviously you're having your best personnel makes all the difference, but where does this leave them? Does this sort of complicate where they're at? You know, do, no, they, do, they, no. sold, do they continue to soldier on with the bulk yeah, of this Yeah, soldier list? on, get them back, assess at the end of the year. There's seven games to go. They're getting players back. They're starting to improve. Um, they're matching sides. They've got... Uh, some consistency going back. They'll, it's terrible news for them that Yo, who's been out for a long time, is injured because you say they've got Rioli back, they've got um, oh, who's the other guy you mentioned, Rowan, please? Sorry. Ryan, Ryan. Ryan back. So there's a level of excitement and Natanui, but but the key was going to be Yo off a half-back flank. And, yeah, but, I, um, but I'm talking about beyond this year. They can soldier out the rest of this year, but where do they go after this year? Do they continue to to try to do something with this group of players? Well, the first conversation is with with Kennedy and Hearn. Yeah, are you going to keep going? But I, I think yes, I think they do go again. They they lick their wounds, they recruit, um, they look at their young players coming through, and they've they've got the they've got the players. They've had a, a terrible year in all areas. I think they can regroup and be competitive again next year. Well, that's a good point. I guess the first decision they have to make is, is this year an aberration because of all these extraneous factors? Yep. Um, all right. So next week, West Coast, they have got Carlton at home, 4.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Oh. That one is on Sunday afternoon. Wow. And the Tigers, uh, they've got a tough one too. They have yep. got a road trip to Metricon Stadium to play Gold Coast, and that is the twilight game on Saturday afternoon. Uh, speaking of which, well, this wasn't twilight, but the middle of the three Sunday games. Let's have a chat about that one. Oh, and a very wet and soggy giant stadium. Uh, GWS had a 22-point win over Hawthorne, the final scores. Greater Western Sydney, 11-6-72, defeating Hawthorne, 7-8-50. The goal kickers for GWS, Brown, for who, you ask? Well, Callum Brown, the Irishman, who was a late inclusion in this team to replace Lockie Keefe. And, uh, well, fair to say he responded to the call. Four goals to Brown, two to Hogan, two to Weir, singles the rest and all Hawthorne's seven goal kickers, individuals. Uh, it absolutely bucketed down. I think they were saying more than 100 mils of rain expected in Sydney across the day. Uh, it looked like a lot of that fell during the game. It just bucketed down. But for all that, uh, it wasn't a bad game to watch, particularly a, f- a very entertaining first quarter uh, in which GWS ended up with 3-1 and Hawthorne kicked 4-1. The Giants then getting the break with three goals to nothing in the second quarter, another three goals to two in the third term, and then two goals to one in the last. So always just maintaining that uh, three to four goal break over the Hawks. Uh, Another good win to the Giants under the coaching of uh, Mark McVeigh. And I guess speculation continues about whether he can land that job Full time, he seemed to have plenty of supporters for that gig in the commentary box. And Hawthorne, <laughs> uh, another decent show from Hawthorne without getting the points, which seems to be the story of their season. Rob, 
Yeah, a couple of uh, interesting points that jumped out of me. We've got to acknowledge that uh, James Warple did his shoulder and that was uh, inopportune for the Hawks. Um, in the last four games, Hawthorne have lost the contested ball count by 22 per game. They're ranked 18th in the competition uh, on that KPI. So going into those conditions, it's not a great indicator of how the game was going to go. But to their credit... Uh, their domination um, in the second quarter of 22 inside 50s for no goals showed their territorial dominance but their inability to uh, nail goals and take opportunities. They've had enough, like GWS got away well, Hawks came back, and then this absolute domination of territory, and in the end GWS through Lloyd and Weir kicked two late goals which took them to a, a in those conditions a comfortable eight point lead. Um, hey, just yeah, talking, just yeah. talking about territory. How often do you see two sides with sixty plus inside fifties? Well, can it, what does that the mean? Best, that means that the conditions force you to be direct. There's none of this chipping round. There's no yeah. sideways movement. You have to get it, and the key points at every break for the coaches is territory and yardage. Kick it off the ground. I, I thought um, in the modern day where we see very little mud and conditions, now I don't know why because, you know, this, the sun still shines and it still rains, Ryan, I thought they gave an excellent exhibition of wet weather football. They kept the ball in front. This is both teams. Mm. They kicked the ball off the ground. They knocked down and that's why you get 60 because as soon as they get it, they have to do yardage, so it's a quick kick forward. Mongrel punts, Rowan, how many of them? Skids, hits the ground, get it up there, and um, then hopefully in GWS's case, you get the um, the likes of Callum M. Brown having an absolute blinder. That's why you get those numbers, Rowan. You know the other big uh, furphy, I think, uh, not the other, I think a big furphy about wet weather footy is that it is always an equaliser. I think sometimes it just elevates the importance of class players. And to wit, I would uh, quote the disposal statistics here. So Tom Mitchell has led the count with 35, but the next five highest disposal winners are GWS's best ball users, Lockie Whitfield, Stephen Cornelio, Josh Kelly, Tim Taranto, and then off halfback, Isaac Cumming. There you go. Yeah, I mean, it's, and, that, and that's, that's telling, point. though, isn't it? That is telling. Yeah, but, but it, it's it's a great question about why, because I, I, I love what I saw because, okay, um, both teams were 60 inside 50s. Like, we're seeing games where there's 50 to 39, aren't we, right? Yeah. Because there's tendency for control and tempo and saw and sideways movement, hold on the ball, don't take risks chip it out wide, but in this game, if you want to win, you've got to go inside 50. And a big tick and, and another furphy, the big big fellas, mate, I know they, they threw, didn't, sorry, that's disrespectful. I know the late change was the big man out and the medium-sized player out, which was a, a terrific um, masterstroke by the match committee, Mark McVeigh. But I tell you what, one of the most influential players was a bloke that was um, – Six foot five in the old scale. He played a terrific game. Eight or ten marks. He had nearly 25 possessions, Hogan, 
and and he was just fantastic in those conditions, which is another furphy. You know, big blokes have put their body in front and they've got reasonable hands and they've got a good feel for the conditions, can dominate in these conditions. I thought a very impressive win by um, Wasteful by Hawthorne, but a, a terrific exhibition of wet weather football by GWS. Okay, qu- very quickly, we were both bullish about Hawthorne. The bottom line here is they're 15th on the ladder and 4 and 11. How do we rate this season? 4 and 11. Um, yeah, we were, weren't we? This has been a diff- disappointing phase. You've been keeping count, haven't you? Is that eight out of nine, Rowan, losses? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's moving into the slightly disappointing phase now. Yeah. Even even you and I might be uh, jumping off the improvement bandwagon. Well, they can't seem to, uh, you know, they seem to sort of come close but no cigar far too often, don't they? And, um, you know, well, last week they didn't. Last week they got fixed up. You know, 13-point loss to Freo, four-point loss to uh, Collingwood, one-point loss to Carlton. But you can't keep hanging your hat on that, can you? You've got to start turning, uh, you know, decent effort into wins. So They had every chance, Rowan. Yeah. A, a domination in territory in the second quarter. Absolute domination. All right. And, get, well, and, got, and got outscored. That well, says it all. Can they do something? Can they turn it around next week? Well, got a chance. They have got a game at Marvel Stadium against Adelaide, 3.20 p.m. Sunday afternoon, that one. As for the Giants, they have got a Saturday night engagement with Port Adelaide at Adelaide Oval, and that one is at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. One game left. Can in- I just say something? Sorry, mate. Yep. A, a very interesting game, Hawthorne-Adelaide, because it'll be desperation stakes to see who's actually improved, Yeah, if that makes sense. Yes. Sometimes you don't show improvement against the sides that are superior, but both of those sides should beat each other. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah, make it thank so. you. Very good point and a valid point. Uh, one game left to discuss in round 16 and another pretty important one too over in Perth. And round 16 closed off with a huge game in Perth between Fremantle and Port Adelaide. Port desperate to keep their finals hopes alive. Frio, a place in the top four to protect after a disappointing loss last week. And this game was another cracker uh, with Fremantle getting out to a substantial lead, 40 points at one stage, but Port Adelaide coming flying home and uh, gee they missed some chances at the end there could have just about pinched it in the end though Fremantle prevailing by eight points and with that just about bidding farewell to Port's finals hopes as we set off the top they are now two games and a bit of percentage outside the top eight the final scores Fremantle 15-9-99 defeating Port Adelaide 14 Seven ninety-one. The goal kickers for the Dockers: Lob five, Aish two, Schultz two, Tabiner two. Looks like a hamstring for him. Could be some ramifications out of that. Singles the rest, and for the power, the only multiple goal kickers for them: Dixon two, Georgiades two, Rosie two. Uh, well, I'll. I'll Talk about how this game unfolded in the last quarter, Rob, but uh, your impressions off the top, quality game by both teams. 
Yeah, it was good to see. And of course, Port dominated the early part and the end part. But in between, uh, G Fremantle were impressive. And as you said, they pushed right out to nearly 40 points. So that, uh, you know, when Port led by 20 points at one stage in the first quarter, that's nearly a 10-goal turnaround run. We just thought at three-quarter time how far. But a five-goal three to one-goal one uh, last quarter was a domination by Port. And I guess it came on the back of a pretty passionate and emotional response by Ken Hintley at three-quarter time, staring down the barrel of their season going down the drain. So, um, yeah, Port, uh, Port all over the place in a funny sort of way. Very, very good at the start, terrific at the end, and didn't come away with the chocolates. I did, uh, I did give them a chance. In fact, I'm just having a look now in our preview. Oh, we did both go for Fremantle, but I did uh, have a look at my margin. I had Freo by six points. Yes. I've seen Port do this before, and it was. It was an emotion-charged uh, response in that last quarter. And I'll tell you what, I don't think I've seen anyone play a better minute than Charlie <laughs> Dixon played. Yeah. At the start of that, first he's kicked close to the goal of a year. He's turned check side from the boundary. Uh, fantastic yeah. goals. Gone back to the centre. He's contested the ruck, won the hit out, <laughs> got on the end of it, won the clearance. And from outside, oh, it's got to be at least 60 metres, 60 to 65 metres, let fly. And it's bounced, bounced through two goals in a minute which really turned this game on its head. At that point, um, before he kicked those goals, it was, uh, what, 33 points. He's brought yeah. it back to 21 points. It didn't end there, though. Jackson Mead took a really good mark. He brought it back to 15 points. Connor Rosie made it 10 points. A uh, bit of equilibrium restored for the Dockers by Lockie Schultz. And that was after a, uh, a huge tackle by Andy Brayshaw um, on Finlayson. That could be a game-saving tackle in retrospect. Carl Amon then uh, kicked a beautiful goal. Gee, there were some great individual highlights in this game. Uh, and I haven't even mentioned uh, Georgie. I almost said John Georgiades. Mitch Georgiades, uh, what I reckon will be close to mark of the year at the end of the third quarter. Beautiful goal from Carl Amon off one step from outside 50 made it nine points again, and Port had their chances, Rob. Robbie Gray, the normally, you know, if you could entrust your life with one man to kick a match-winning goal, it would be Robbie Gray. He missed a very gettable shot with two and a half minutes left, and uh, that brought the difference back to nine points. And then uh, Todd Marshall, who's also been kicking very accurately, he missed a very gettable one with a minute and a half on the clock. Frio managed to hang on to the ball for most of the last 90 seconds and uh, ball bobbing around in the middle of the ground when the siren went. Uh, well, look, deserved win in the end by Fremantle, but uh, credit to Port for that fight back and uh, Freo going to want to have to maintain that standard for longer than they did today, I think, to trouble, uh, well, to go all the way, which is what they realistically hope to do. I think Fremantle uh, controlled the middle phase of the game fantastic. And that was, there was a very damning stat that uh, I had a look at that uh, Port Adelaide in the third quarter 
uh, only retain the ball inside their 50, 25% of the time. So Fremantle just ran it out all the time. That's 75% of the time in that third quarter that Fremantle were able to extract the ball out of the back line, and that's a bad stat. What is a good stat for um, Fremantle was that phase of play. You highlighted Charlie Dixon, but over the course of the game, Ron, the the Dockers dominated clearances 48 to 30 and 20 in 10. But for some inexplicable reason, or when I say that, obviously Port lifted Charlie Dixon into the ruck, uh, ground levels. Um, They kicked four goals, one in that uh, in that run-on of five goals, three, from stoppages. So mm. in an area that they were completely and consistently beaten over the course of the day, they have turned it on for that very short period of time. But once again, Ron, it comes down to, and this competition is dominated by partnerships. And I think once we get to the finals, if you have a forward partnership, and it's very interesting you mentioned about Tabiner's, uh hamstring, Lobb and uh, Tabernacle kicked seven between them. That's a significant difference in the teams between Dixon and Marshall. So all these teams that look to be in contention have a partnership. And well, I know we're digressing a little bit, mm. but if Lobb and Tabernacle can hit the finals in good form, uh, they're good enough to cause some significant issues. No, it's a good point. And they've got uh, more than just a partnership midfield too. They've got, uh, and I think this was pretty critical in the end, just more contributors in terms of ball winning ability. Now, Ollie Wine's outstanding for Port today. 39. 39. Travis spoke 32. The difference I think for Fremantle is you've got a whole heap of contributors, haven't you? You've got Brayshaw, you've got Aish. Gee, Aish is really having an outstanding season for them. He has good been story, Ron. Good yeah, story. He is a yeah. good story. Uh, Will Brody, strong again. Caleb yeah. Sarong, 25. Even someone like Ethan Hughes, you know, 24 for him. Uh, and then another important thing for the Dockers was the game of Jordan Clark. Probably almost his best game for Fremantle since coming across from Geelong. So definitely got a better spread of contributors than they've had previously. And, and sorry to interrupt, mate. Two blokes you haven't mentioned. You yep. don't need to dominate David Mundy and uh, Nat Fife. Correct. And, who you and, didn't even mention. Yeah, so no, well, that's 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 exactly what they required, wasn't it? Correct. Too dependent for too long on them. Yep. And uh, to a lesser extent, Michael Wilder. So there is oh, a yeah. secret to their improvement this year. And uh, for Port, unfortunately, it looks like the game is pretty much up. Let's have a look what uh, both these sides have got on the agenda for next week. Uh, We'll start with Fremantle because they have a top four spot to protect. They have got uh, a challenge, Marvel Stadium. Uh, They didn't play well there last week, but they're back there on Saturday evening to take on St Kilda and St Kilda with their tails up after a pretty good win on Friday evening. Port Adelaide, they have got a home clash with GWS, and that one is on Saturday evening, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Well, that is it for our Round 16 review. Uh, Thanks again to our wonderful uh, official podcast partners, Palmabet. Wager with Palmabet where you can get tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. Uh, You can become uh, a supporter 
of footyology in various ways. Firstly, on the ACAST uh, supporter platform. Um, there's a link there wherever you listen to this podcast, or you can become an official Footyology patron via the many links at footyology.com.au where there's heaps of great reading, not just about footy either. We've got uh, season reviews of all the NBA teams. Jared Pross has been beavering away on all 30 NBA teams. We do have Shane Hope's wrap of this very intriguing round of football that is already up and ready for you to read whenever well, you hear me give it this plug. Plenty of other interesting stuff on politics, society, music, movies, entertainment, you name it. It is there, footyology.com.au, the focus always on quality, not clickbait. Thanks, everyone. Thank, Thank you, you, Robert. And Thanks, Ron. Big weekend, that. Oh. We will see you back here on Wednesday for our preview of what should be an even bigger Round 17. We'll see you then.